Hey, hey, hi, hello, it's recording. Welcome to March. Welcome to March. And you know what that means. We're going mad. Oh, March Madness is yep. upon us. It's hit us. Um, unlike some other more topical diseases right now, March Madness is, um, is completely safe and it does not put you in danger. And it only lasts for 30 days. Yeah, it only lasts for 30 days. 31 nice. days? Well, I mean, even less than that when you actually think about the actual March Madness and how long it takes. Yes. Sorry. Anyway, uh, this is not March Madness about ba- uh, basketball, though. Uh, in fact, it's not about sports at all, at least this year. Uh, I mean, we, can we could talk about sports on this. <laughs> no, we're not talking about sports on this. That would be insane. Um, welcome to the Media Boat Podcast. We didn't say what we are. Uh, of course, we know what we are. They clicked on the link. They clicked on this the link. This is not a surprise. Uh, yeah. Surprise! Podcast. Media Boat Podcast. Uh, so, yeah, if you're a longtime listener, uh, first time caller, then you would know that we've been doing this uh, March Madness bracket tradition for a while. And basically, four years. Do, yeah, for four years. Four out of the five years. Of recording this podcast. Yes, well, yeah. we didn't do it our first year because we didn't think of it at the time. Right, we didn't have that idea. It didn't dawn on us. But no. uh, yeah, um, so basically what we do is we take a subject within our media realms of movies, television, music, and video games, in that order, and then, um, and then we decide to make a bracket, like a tournament-style bracket of uh, ranking stuff we love. And uh, in the past... We've done the Disney animated film canon. We've done the Pixar film canon. We've done uh, video game franchises last year. And then this year, our eyes turn to television as we look at, since we are on the precipice of a new decade here in 2020, um, the shows of the last decade, the 2010s. It feels like a good time to do it. turn back since literally every list did it in December. Yeah. Well, plus, also, we've been talking a lot this year on the podcast about shows that were huge in the 2010s having their season series finales. We just witnessed the end of The Good Place, BoJack Horseman, um, what else? Uh, we saw uh, the last episodes of something else recently, too, and I forget what it was. But yeah, um, it's oh, Broad City yeah, ended. Broad City, Big Bang um, Theory ended. Yeah, Big Bang Theory, Modern Family Modern is Family ending is after ending. this season. So it feels like this is the time to talk about these titans of 2010s television like that alliteration mm-hmm. um, um and and sort of like uh yeah to, to have a final at the end of this decide what the ultimate best show of the 2010s is according to media boat podcast that is yes but first we gotta take each category and yes break it down to our top four yeah, so basically what we've done in order to kind of call the chaos is similar to what we did with the franchise video games last year, where we're taking them into four basic categories. And for television, those categories we've determined are network TV shows, so that would be anything that aired on ABC, CBS, uh, NBC, Fox, CW. Those are your basic uh, networks in the U.S. Um, maybe PBS, if we can think of PBS shows. Nova. Yeah, Nova. That's been on forever, though. Uh, and then, uh, also, then the next category would be your basic cable shows. Those are your Comedy Central's, your Cartoon Networks, your uh, Sci-Fi's, your uh, Disney, TNT, yeah, USA, Channels, AMC, USA, all those wonderful shows that you can basically get in your normal FX. basic, yeah, FX, which is probably a biggest bigger player. That'll be a big player for this one. Um, and yeah, in your um, uh, basic cable packages. Then premium cable, which we're defining basically as HBO, Showtime, 
stars, you know, the stuff that you basically have to pay extra for. To Should get we throw in sports as well, ESPN? Uh, yeah, because there's shows there that are not necessarily a just to play like just them playing a sports event. Yes. For example, Thirty for Thirty would hang. Yes. Um. So yeah, I mean, definitely, I think we could consider ESPN's original programming here. Right. Or you know, like hell, even something like Sports Center. I because mean, if we're OJ including, Made like, in America is yeah. an ESPN specific thing as I mean, well. We're include if we're including my my thought here is that if we're including like late night late night shows on the network packages, then we yes, should we include are. something like Sports Center because that's the same thing. Yeah, and we will include Thirty for Thirty because that yes. started in two thousand nine and yeah, it's, and continues to run and it's excellent. So yes. yeah, it definitely it definitely has a spot here. And then, um, so those are the, the, the first three. And then the last one, of course, because the 2010s would not be complete if it wasn't for the advent of streaming as a real big player in the television space. So yes, this was, would be where you would see Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Prime, um, your Disney+. Plus even though that's basically two months of eligibility there. Yes, but The Mandalorian counts. <laughs> but The Mandalorian counts because it did premiere in 2019. Um, and also, kind of as an asterisk here, um, streaming would also include YouTube original content. And this doesn't just include YouTube originals, the banner under which YouTube has presented their own original programming. This would also include streaming YouTube shows that did exist in the 2010s. So these would be any creator-like created stuff that just happens to be a serialized weekly show, weekly give or take, uh, that just happened to be on YouTube. That counts because that's television mm-hmm. now. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we wouldn't have done this if we had done this list in 2015, but but that counts as streaming. But now. yeah, with retrospect, now there's no difference between that and something a 30 minute show on Netflix. Or so yeah, we're including it, although there are probably a whole lot that counts. Yes. So yeah, uh, that's basically how we're going to split this up. Podcast-wise, we're going to take this category by category. So we'll start today by talking about network television shows. And the next uh, few podcasts for you will be about uh, your other three categories. We'll drop these on a weekly basis, taking up the entire month of March, culminating into a winner that we shall post before the actual... Um, tournament of yeah. March Madness concludes. So we're going to get this down uh, category by category down to a uh, final four in each category. Those four will go up against each other for a final one in the category and then the final show will be determining, deter- determining between those final four from each category which the king of all four is. That right. sounds like a basically good way to do it. Yeah, so each each up, at the end of each of these special episodes we'll have four that will move on to the next round. Yeah. Or move on to the finals. It moves on, moves on to the finals, exactly. All right. Now that we've spent so five minutes... semifinals, finals, semifinals, finals, and then the champion. Yes. And now that we've um, basically <laughs> covered our five-minute interlude yes. here... In seven minutes. we begin? <laughs> five minutes and seven minutes. Fastest seven minutes. I mean, hey, <laughs> we spent two minutes just jibber-jabbering. Man, remember the fastest... What was it, the fastest five five minutes? What was it, fastest... It's, it's always the fastest two minutes two in minutes. sports. Two minutes, that's what it was. I forgot. That's the Kentucky Derby. I haven't. Which is the fastest two minutes <laughs> in sports. Anyway. Thank you for listening to that spiel. But now, let's talk about our network television show. So, we've done, or Mike has done, some um, research... And, uh, research, I should say, in quotes. 
basically remembering really hard and looking at some lists. Oh no, it's research because <laughs> internet helps with IMDB and several lists. To basically get a short list, well, a long list really, of network shows that we can call down. So we're going to just go in order from this list, no particular order here. Uh, even though there's probably some sort of a particular order bias here. There uh, is some bias here. Uh, and basically decide whether they hang. And so just this first one is just to first go over is just to decide, do we think this will compete? Or do you think that it will be easily knocked out? Well, first one, we're just going to easily move on because this show, if you've been listening to the podcast, <laughs> has been the number one show for me to go podcast for three years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been our favorite show in our end of the year lists for the last three years. So yeah, of course it uh, it's on this list at the top here. We're talking about, of course, the Good Place. The Good Place. So NBC's The Good Place. Uh, if you think of network sitcoms, I mean that we've loved. I mean this is top top of the list easily this last decade. It uh, just was so consistently funny, so consistently imaginative. The characters were memorable and lovable. It's such a positive message. It makes you think about, like, philosophy of life like no other show really does in that kind of format. And also, it's a good reminder of why network television does still matter in the age of streaming and cable dominance. And it's also a testament that there were no bad episodes. Yeah, I can't think of a single dud. Yeah. Like, every single one kept the plot going, had really funny jokes... Um, and surprised you around every turn. Like, that's the thing I kept saying about Good Place and what kind of made it stick out for me is that you never, it was never a predictable show. You could never guess exactly where it was going. You could maybe theorize about, oh, maybe this is what's going to happen to the characters. Maybe this is what's going to happen to this world. But every single episode and every single season, the entire rules of the show were rewritten, thrown out the window, and a new world was introduced. I mean, even from the first season where I initially seen the commercials for this, kind of poo-pooed it like, what? <laughs> it's like, I don't this get is it. super high concept. This is super dumb. I was late to the party because initially I watched the pilot and didn't think much of it. It's not a great pilot. I do right. have to say about one thing about The Good Place is that that pilot does not sell with the good screen about that show. Mm -hmm. The show picks up after a handful of, episode, of episodes and then you're like, oh man, I needed this in my life. Once they get everybody together by the third yeah. or fourth episode, then the show starts picking up. And that's not their fault. Like we always say here at the Media Boat Podcast, pilots are hard. It's yes. very, very difficult to make a good pilot. In writing classes, there's only like two or three shows that are ever shown to you as the, quote, perfect pilot, unquote, because it's so rare to find a good one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's definitely something to be said that maybe it doesn't start with the great greatest footing. But it ends up being one of the strongest, like, 22-minute series in the decade, I think. So this definitely hangs. I think we definitely can't move, remove this from the list quite yet. Right. Um, the Good Place, of course, brought to us by Michael Schur. Yes. Who brings us yet another show uh, this decade that yeah. I think also deserves a place on this list, probably. Uh -huh. Uh, that being Parks and Rec. Yeah, now, so... While it did premiere in 2009... Yeah, it had most of its episodes in the, the, the season. Basically, just as a real brief rules kind of clarification, even if a show premiered before the 2010s, we are including it if it's run extended within the 2010s. We're basically just saying anything that ran within those 10 years, 2010 to 2019, or nine years, I guess, technically, uh, counts for these lists. So, yeah. Uh, those 10 years. 
Yeah, 10 years. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so Parks and Rec, yeah. I mean, this was another show where I was a latecomer too. Uh, I, I think most people were a latecomer yeah. too because the first season is yeah. a sludge. And that is probably the <laughs> stain on yeah. what would otherwise be a great series. When this thing premiered, it was very much seen as, oh, they're just trying to do The Office in a different setting. And the writers kind of approached it that way too. The Office was such a big hit for NBC that they were like, well, let's do something similar to that in kind of a different kind of office. And you can see that really it took the writers to realize, oh, wait, no, these characters are actually really unique and fun to write. And so by the time the second season really gets its footing and like in a few episodes in, you start to realize, oh, no, they figured out what the show is. It's got a different, like, take, like a different feeling to it, a different attitude to it. And then from there on, up until the questionable choices they made in the final season. Um, well, they were never <laughs> expecting that final right. season. Uh, but yeah, uh, it ended up being really classic stuff. Like, I think that it's def- definitely one of those shows that you can bring up to people and it's become such a cult favorite at this point that people are like, oh yeah, no. Like, Parks and Rec, one of the better, better shows of the last couple decades. It's also one of the shows that is consistently being just advertised to me on <laughs> Netflix when I turn it on. Like, hey, yes. turn this back on. Hey, you remember Parks and Rec, right? Put yeah. it on, put it on, put it on. And more times than not, I will put it on. Yeah. Or if I see it on TV, I will put it on. Similar to The Good Place, it's an ensemble show, and that's the strength of it, is that there's so many uh, great episodes about all the different characters in this little, small town. Each of the characters is, you know, fun in their own way. They get their own good arcs. Um, and they're just personalities that you grow to love. That being said, unlike The Good Place, history has not been that kind to Park and, Parks and Rec. And I think that because of its, uh, because of its just the nature of how it's written, some of the stuff doesn't hold up as much as it does, special, uh, as it, uh, Wells did then, as it does now. Like, there's entire actors here that maybe, uh, have had kind of a rough last five years. Uh, right. But all- <laughs> season, sorry. Yes, and but so also it's hard considered, to go back to some of this. You have to have to consider that this show ran during the Obama presidency. Oh, yeah. It's very much that era of a show. Yes. Um, so, yeah. It's I mean, not, literally throughout the entire presidency, 2009, 2015. So, yeah. Some of the, some of the re- recurring gags don't hold up. Like the fact that Louis C.K. was a guest star for a handful of episodes. Mm-hmm. Not so great now. Uh, second thing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, Leslie Nope's love uh, for Joe Biden probably doesn't look as fun in 2020 as it did in 2009. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a show that's definitely a product of its time, which does kind of hurt it a little bit more than something more contemporary, uh, like The Good Place. That being said, when it was good, it was great. And uh, there's some classic episodes of this thing. It also brought to us some cultural uh, touchstones as Treat Yourself, uh, yeah. DJ Roomba. Mouse uh, Rat. <laughs> yes, Mouse Rat. A uh, little Sebastian. Yeah, little Sebastian. You can keep going. There's so much, so much cool Ron stuff. Swanson. Yeah, the, the, the whole character. character. In fact, I believe, I mean, this is the show that essentially gave us the wonderfulness that is Nick Offerman. Sure, yes. he was in other stuff before this. If you were probably a comedy nerd, you already knew who he was uh, before 2009. But if you're like most of us, this is what introduced you to that wonderful man. And yeah, I'm glad that he's part of the culture now. He's such a great dude. Uh, uh, Amy Poehler, same thing. I feel like this has really put her on the map. I mean, of course, she had, you know, her start on SNL before this. 
and she was great in that. But really, this is the star-making vehicle. It's brought us, and it brought her to a point where she was able to uh, use her stardom to give uh, the spotlight to other creators. Mm-hmm. She is what brought Broad City onto network or onto cable onto cable. She's what brought so many other shows. In fact, she's still producing uh, new shows for this season uh, in 2020. There's an animated program that she's uh, produced that's coming to Fox this season. Right. So yeah, it's like she this really catapulted her into who she is now. And also, I hear you through the screen and through the microphone right now, <laughs> yelling Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, Chris it, yes. Pratt. Yes, it also maybe yes. You could also say this gave us the juggernaut who is Chris Pratt, who of course became a huge movie star in the late period of the 2019 or 2010s. So yeah, there's a lot to be said here. Uh, clearly, as we're going along on mm-hmm. Parks and Rec, but yeah. I think that ultimately it hangs, but it might not be in our top four. That's kind of how I feel right now. We'll put it there for now because there yeah. are four slots. Mm-hmm. But we did bring up a show real briefly, mm-hmm. and I think someone out there is screaming, hey, go back to that. Yeah. Being that of The Office. Yeah. And I'll caveat this also with 30 Rock, as both of these shows premiered. Around the same time, 05 and 06, yeah. and ended roughly the same time. And... Actually, they did in the same time in 2013. And between the two of them, completely changed network television comedy. Yes. And let me elaborate on that. But first, I'll get there. But first, let's talk about The Office. So, I have to say the caveat real quick. Um, I have not really sat down and watched any of The Office. I've seen the occasional episode here and there. I get the appeal. I get why people like it. Because similarly to Parks and Rec, um, it was a show that kind of started a little shaky because it was based on a British show that already had a built-in fan base, tried to do something different, and didn't find its voice until a few seasons in. But when it did, fans now love it, and it's a cult favorite, because, again, the writers found the voices of each of the characters. The characters became these lovable, you know, like this lovable group of people that people wanted to see every week, and it became this really fan-favorite show. I just never clicked with it, and I didn't really stick not stick on it. Yeah, if you start from the beginning, it does take a lot of getting used to because yeah. it is very dry British humor, which is what they were trying to emulate. Yeah, they were trying to emulate a very specific kind of show, but they eventually realized that they didn't necessarily need to stick to it as much as they had been initially, and once they found their own personality and voice for the show, it took off. And it definitely says something where the... Uh, spin-off show, or rather the remake, <laughs> lasted a hell of a lot yes. longer than the original. I mean, part of that is, of course, the, the ratings, but part of that is also just the difference between British and American television. The British series that are huge and culturally important are always short. They're always only two to four seasons long. There's no real thing as a long-running British sitcom when you think about how all of their favorite sitcoms last. However, in the U.S., networks want to run stuff as long as they're popular. And that's why you get 11 seasons of Big Bang Theory, or plus. You You mean when they run them into the ground? Exactly. Networks uh, networks here in the U.S. don't know when to stop. And I think that was partially the blame for why The Office lasted as long as it did. Because they wanted to capitalize on its consistency in the ratings. And so they did. So creatively, you do see a bit of a bell curve. Yes, I mean, you expected it to end when um, Michael Scott yes, left. Yes, when your biggest Steve star, Carell left. Steve Carell, leaves the show. This is another one that, pro- that also we should mention straddles two decades. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is, yeah, you do see the kind of 
like uh, the the big star making turn of Steve Carell, like really propel this show forward, and then ultimately be its demise mm-hmm. when he leaves. And so yeah, there's that. That's definitely something to be said. Just like Parks and Rec gave us Chris Pratt, this basically gave us Steve Carell again. If you were a comedy nerd in 2005, you knew who Steve Carell was already. But if you didn't, if you were a normal person, this is what really brought him to the forefront. Um, and yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if there's more much really to say beyond the fact that the biggest thing about The Office is, like I said, it switched the switch uh, that made everybody realize that the three-camera setup for sitcoms on network television was getting old and dusty, mm-hmm. and that this new single-camera approach was a way to keep sitcoms and comedy on uh, network television fresh and new feeling. And it started to trend. If you didn't have the success of The Office on um, NBC, other networks like uh, like Fox wouldn't have picked up stuff that they did later that, would, that became such huge single-camera shows. Like it, Last Man on Earth. NBC basically made this their like their identity after mm-hmm. this with Thirty Rock, with Parks and Rec, and and then later with The Good Place. It became yeah. all about more about these higher concept single camera shows, and the th- three camera setup sh- uh, sitcom was kind of left on the wayside, except for CBS, which embraced it. Yeah, the live to tape. Just kind of started falling by the wayside yeah. by the time we got to the 2010s. And I think it's because these writers who were a little younger, who were seeing stuff like the success of of The Office, realized this is better. You're not telling the audience when to laugh. You can be smarter. You can be bigger. You can do things that a three-camera setup wouldn't allow, like doing on like on uh, location stuff. It also allowed... Outdoor gags. You could do so much stuff. It also allowed for more room to work with. You weren't confined with, this is where it has to be shot all the time. You can move that camera around. You can move that camera flowing through Mm -hmm. a living environment. And also, I mean, The Office, although this wasn't replicated as much, The Office's faux documentary setup also allowed for there to be like, look-to-camera reactions, mm-hmm. a one-on-one interview segments. It basically created a new vocabulary for sitcoms to use that they didn't have before. And so, yeah, I think that if there's one reason why The Office sticks on here, besides its maybe lack of consistency compared to something like Parks and Rec or The Good Place, I think it stays because of the legacy it started. It's important. It's the most important show we've talked about so far. So we're going to mark this as a possibility for importance. Yes. Not Even though it's not a personal favorite. Yes. Okay. But what is a personal favorite is 30 <laughs> Rock. All right. So 30 Rock is like splits the difference, in my opinion, between something like the, the Office and Parks and Rec. It is important because of its effect it had on television comedy writing. I want to say writing specifically here. It basically took the joke-a-minute approach of something like The Simpsons... And made a live-action interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop gags. Like, the gags never stop. An episode of 30 Rock probably has, like, hundreds of jokes in it. And it's not just verbal jokes. It's yeah, visual, visual jokes. gags. Yeah. It's long-running gags. It's setups and payoffs yeah. throughout an episode. Yeah, Tina Fey took the potential, the blueprint set up by something like The Office and basically ran with it. It was like saying, like, how can we make a live-action cartoon? And that's what they did. And they basically created an entire subgenre of comedy. You see its effect on comedy later with stuff like Broad City, 
stuff like a little bit like a little bit like the jokier side of the good place like there is an indelible effect left pretty much the entire uh, roster of Comedy Central in the 2010s was created by 30 Rock existing mm-hmm. like it created a a template for zany te- uh, television comedy app that continued after it still lives today that being said the the other half of the show is that it is very much just like Parks and Rec product of its time Half of the gags per episode, especially the ones kind of from the late 2000s into the early 10s, does not hold up anymore. You have a lot of of its time jokes. Tina Fey is a very both sidesy kind of comic, and you get a lot of that in early 30 Rock. She is somebody who just, the writing style that her and her uh, writing partners typically approach is a is of a... We're making equal opportunity offender. We make fun of everybody so that way we never really say it, make a statement. It's also we'll take both sides and never say which one is correct or which one we agree with. And that's not just my... both sides are right and wrong at the same time. And that's not my interpretation. That's me quoting Tina specifically. So in her her memoir, Bossy Pants, which Mm -hmm. I've read, uh, she basically straight up says their approach to comedy was, if it's funny, we'll write it. We don't have a point of view. She never wanted to have a point of view with show, with her comedy in general. She just always wanted, like, their, their rule was, if it's funny, we put it in. And, yeah, looking back on that in, the, in, in like, retrospect, makes a lot of stuff, do, does, means a lot of the stuff doesn't land as well as it did before. And I admit that. And so it has a rickety foundation. That being said, there are moments and bits that are the funniest bits that have ever been on television in this series. Like, there is hilarious stuff. Some of the stuff still holds up. Like, same, similar to Parks and Rec, there's, like, gags that live on today that you can quote, and people will immediately be like, oh, yeah, no, that that was a great episode of 30 Rock. Like, Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Vivian got there pretty high for me. Um, just, like, stuff just that uh, has not really, like, gone away. And it is a show that I feel like is important in just the, the way that it's set up, like I said, the template for everything that came after it. And yeah, it's one of my personal favorites before, but because of that. If I'm thinking about my top favorite shows of ever, 30 Rocks in the top five. Easy. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 a tough show to reconcile now, but yeah, it's definitely should hang just because of how high the highs were. I mean, I we think. are looking at both of these shows, The Office and 30 Rock. Yeah. Seven years after their <laughs> yes. their end. Not their beginning, their end. Right. They lasted a while, longer than anybody thought that either of them would. Mm-hmm. Tina Fey even thought they would be canceled after the second season of 30 Rock. They weren't, and they kept going. Yeah. But uh, still, yeah, they, 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 just, they, they, belong, they belong because of their impact. And I think 30 Rock maybe a little bit more than The Office just because of how, just how funny it was. Yes, but I see. I would go in the reverse that the office had more of an impact mm-hmm. because those writers went on to do other stuff. That's true. I mean, actually, you could say about that for both shows. They yes. were really a springboard for a lot of different, uh, like other network shows. Right now, we've talked all. So these four shows that we've talked about NBC. have all been NBC shows. And if you think about networks in 2010s, I think NBC's up there as the strongest. Of the four network, basic networks. At least. I mean, don't tell that to the Nielsen ratings. <laughs> but yes, in terms sure. of quality content, NBC, at least for yeah, us, for us, for our our generation, I think it mattered mm-hmm. a lot more. Right now, let's go on to someone else though. 
Because there are five other networks out there. Four other networks? Eh, at least. <laughs> Depends on who you ask. Yes. Uh, yeah, so let's keep trucking. Let's keep trucking and talk about Fox real quick. And yes. one show on Fox that was heavily consistent throughout the 2010s yeah. was New Girl. Another show that it took me a long time to get into. In fact... It wasn't until streaming. It wasn't until it was on its final season that I even watched this thing. It wasn't until it was on Netflix where you could binge watch yeah. everything that and you got into this. So the reasoning here, I think, is it's complicated. I think it, <laughs> I think it had to do with um, uh, a couple of things. One, it had a serious image problem when mm-hmm. it first debuted. I think when you looked at New Girl immediately, it was easy to dismiss because it was a show, a vehicle uh, for Zoe Deschanel, who, lover or hater, was a, yeah, was a divisive person in the early 2010s. Also, the concept itself was not a new concept of, of a single girl living with a bunch of guys. That's not a new concept. Yeah. That, but it does present itself with basic funny material at face value, yeah, appealing to that lowest common denominator. It also has the issue of not a great pilot. The same thing, kind of thing that we're going to hear a lot while we're talking about these series is it starts and it's the most cliche thing you could imagine. It's like, oh, this girl is ridiculous in every single way. She was the television equivalent of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I mean, she was basically <laughs> Zoe J. Smell. In character form. Yeah. Oh, hey, I'm quirky yeah. and I do weird stuff, so you have to <laughs> live with it. I mean, the marketing for the show was half to blame, too. They were basically like using the term that they quote-unquote invented, adorkable, yes. to describe <laughs> Zoe's character. And that either like made you want to watch it or made you want to be 100 miles away from it at all times. And so, yeah, it was a hard show to recommend. It was a hard show to be like, uh, you should watch this. But the but the the catch here is that just like some of the other shows we've talked about, once you get rolling on this show and once it finds its voice and figures out who the characters are, it's actually amazing. It's actually really well written and it actually has some really great gags. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't know that if you actually didn't sit down and watch multiple seasons of it. And that's really to its detriment. But there's a hidden gem under there that you, if you dig enough, you will find. Um, and yeah, I didn't realize that until, like you said, until it was on Netflix and I was actually able to sit down and watch a lot of it. Yeah, once you were absorbed into that show, you were kind of into that show. And it's a show that, yes, it grows on you because you have to get to know these characters, you get to know their personalities, and you get to see the interactions play out over time. Yeah. And it is a slow burn, not necessarily good, because as we compared it to the previous shows, those were jokes after jokes after jokes. Yeah, it's less of that. It, it's kind of like, like it kind of it, somewhere in between something like a Parks and Rec and a Thirty Rock, where it starts out grounded like a Parks and Rec, but by the time you get into like seasons four and five. The writers gave up, like completely just like abandoned the the groundedness of the show and was just like, no, let's lean into the craziness of all these characters and let's make this a live action cartoon. And in my opinion, that's the peak of the show. When they figure out that it does not have to be realistic and they can just blow out the personalities, blow out the events, 
do crossovers with other shows, mm -hmm. just like completely just remove any reality within its universe. That's when the show gets great instead of just good. And I think that if you lasted long enough to see that, I think that it created something that's really special. And I'm glad you mentioned the crossover because yes. the one episode it did crossover it's... with was Brooklyn Nine-Nine, another yeah. Fox show. So, yes. So I guess we're done talking about New Girl. What oh, I will yeah. say, the last thing I will say is that I don't know if New Girl hangs. Yes, it is super quality, but when you compare it to some of uh, the first four things we talked about, it doesn't have a chance in hell. And the reason why I say that is because the argument to get somebody to watch New Girl is way harder. It's a way steeper cliff than to watch these other shows that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, as much as good as it was, I think that it just does not have the, the power the, the, and the relevance that the NBC shows do. However, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think, maybe has a little bit more of a chance. So it has kind of a similar, uh, similar story to uh, Parks and Rec in a lot of ways, where it's like it starts as a very kind of specific kind of thing. It's a vehicle for um, Andy Samberg, Andy Samberg, uh, and for him to bring in other comedians as well. And yeah, it starts as being like, okay, let's take a police procedural procedural and make it a sitcom. Also brought to you by Michael Shore. Yeah, <laughs> also yes, he's gonna come up a lot here. Yes. Uh, but yeah, and I think that it, 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 it starts okay, it's, it's consistent, but it didn't, it doesn't like blow up until much, much later. And then yeah, it kind of becomes this, again, like a cult favorite by the, by the end, to the point where it was straight up canceled by its original network, Fox, and then because of the fan outcry, it was literally brought back to television just on the sheer strength of its fans. Right, and then went to NBC and it's been on for two seasons. And it's still on. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think that, again, it's hard for me to be like, that. say that it hangs, but if it is nothing but not consistent. It found a voice faster than I think the other shows did, and thus I think that's what gave it the staying power. It may not be as important. Also, now looking, like now in 2020, it is extremely, and trust me, I've done this, so it's, I know how hard it is, Extremely hard to talk somebody into um, watching a show about cops. Yes. Even if it is funny, and even if it is has some great writing in it, and some funny, like some some wonderful characters in it, it's hard because there's such a stigma now when you're talking about police in the in modern society. And so yeah, it sucks that such a strong show is kind of hampered by the subject matter. Uh, but it's consistent, and I think that it's probably out of all these shows, maybe the most consistent outside of the Good Place. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if it hangs ultimately though, just because of it just it's just doesn't have that special spark. I think that something like the other shows maybe do. I mean, it, there's something to say about consistency, mm -hmm. but there's also something to say that it got canceled. I mean, it did get brought back. Yeah, it did get but canceled. But it did get canceled. But I think part of that is one, it was on Fox and not on NBC originally. Yeah, and they. Fox is nothing but a constant um, identity rebrand every five years. Yeah. They've never known really what they want to be, and they don't keep an identity for that long. Well, a Fox always tries to be edgy and yeah. new, but there's so much trying yeah. to be edgy that they usually fall off that edge. And that changes also every once in a while, and so they have to almost rebrand if they want to keep that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it means kind of calling some stuff that even if it was a success, just doesn't work for their numbers. 
And yeah, the other part of this is that it never really, like, we didn't talk about this with 30 Rock, but yeah, this is another show that never really produced the numbers that Fox wanted to see. It was never a popular show. No, no, no. I'm trying to see where we're at here. Yeah, we're at a 30 minute level here. All right, so we're about 30 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be faster on some of these shows because we're getting into kind of the, the, the like a bunch of shows that we don't quite love as much. But they're still important shows nonetheless. Yeah. Um, let's keep well, going. Uh, let's stick with Fox, and we will talk about comedies a lot. Yes. So let's talk about a drama that has been on the air for <laughs> over 10 years, 12 years. It was. Bones. Speaking of, of Zoe Deschanel. So yeah, we go from another Deschanel to a second Deschanel here, and, uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, this is, like I said, we, yeah, like you said, we talk about a lot of comedies, we haven't been talking about dramas, but if you think about dramas with staying power, yeah, Bones is up there. It was a medical procedural. And as you know, procedurals do well on network television mm-hmm. because people love a consistent world that they can go to week after week with the, with like as, a, as a kind of like a comfort food kind of show. And also, it's not something that requires a lot of serial remembering, like something like uh, a big, like one of your like more story-driven dramas on like basic cable, premium cable do. A procedural is comforting because you can go in, it's a story, different story every week, and feel like, yeah, uh, this is like this is a nice thing that I can just kind of settle in for, for, for 44 minutes and be done with and leave for the next week. It's also something that wraps everything else up within that, that 44 minutes. Yeah. It, it does leave stuff like at the very end to trail into yeah. like, the next episode or that season-wide arc, but yeah. otherwise... You're basically coming in for your show and leaving satisfied that, hey, everything worked out at the end. And so, yeah, that's why you see a lot of these procedurals being very long-lived. It's why Law & Order SVU is the longest-running live-action television series in, per- in history now. Which we won't be talking about because talking about. that started way before yeah. this. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think that, yeah, I think that Bones, I, so obviously we're not the people really to talk about this kind of genre of television. We don't watch a whole lot of it. And so we didn't watch personally Bones much. Uh, but what I will say about people who were way into Bones is that it, um, it was a, a good one because of the strength of its characters. Um, I think that the Emily Deschanel is a likable person. And so it's it was easy for people to kind of settle in and watch her every week. And of course, David Boreanaz, people already loved him from like stuff like Buffy and Angel. Mm-hmm. And so he already had like an existing fan base going into it. And so, yeah, like there were characters that like, and also I think it's a, it's a show that had um, that crucial television ele- element of a will they, won't they. That ends up being a they do. Uh, will they? Yeah. <laughs> um, because, again, if you have a show that lasts long enough, your will they, won't, won't they has to be resolved. Right. Eventually they either will or, <laughs> or they won't, will. and that won't will be your season finale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in this case, yeah, it was definitely a, 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 a push and pull that I think benefited it. I don't really have much else to say here, though, because I didn't watch it. Same. I didn't really <laughs> watch it, but I just knew that it was always on and always... A consistent workhorse for Fox. Yes. And uh, it led to a very fun uh, uh, financial story that we reported here on the Media Pope podcast yes, after it, its end. Yes, it did. Uh, but that's not here or there. Right. So let's keep trucking. All right, let's keep trucking. Um, let's stick one last thing with Fox, because Fox not only did live action, but also did animated series as yeah. well. And the animated series that premiered this decade and continues to be funny. Yeah. Bob's Burgers. 
So, if you're thinking of animated programs in the 2010s, Bob's Burgers is the show. Yeah, sure, The Simpsons was still running. Yes, Family Guy was still running. But things that mattered most in the animation world on networks, it's Bob's Burgers, hands down. It's awesome. Um, it's like the show that was new. It, and it has, a, it's kind of an interesting underdog story when you think about its origin and its how it's ended up being such a success for the network. Like, Lauren Bouchard, before this, was a cult favorite. He was not a mainstream name. Yes, you'll have people who occasionally will be like, oh, yeah, like, I watched Dr. Katz, you know, on Comedy mm-hmm. Central in the 90s. I watched home movies in his two iterations on cable. Uh, but, like, nobody's really, really knew who he was until Bob's Burgers took off. Fox was willing to take a risk on this cult name and give him a primetime spot and let him just go wild. And that's the reason why Bob Burgers is as cool as it is. It's a show that is ultimately a cult comedy show that has blown up to be mainstream. You never see that. And it's never lost its bite. It's never lost its attitude, even as big as it's become. It's the same consistently funny show year after year after year. They found their legs really fast. They found exactly the attitude they wanted, and they have never given up on it. A lot of that has to do with the voice acting cast working yes. so well with each other. Yes. Uh, John H. John Benjamin yes. basically is the workhorse of that show, oh, the glue sure. that holds that thing together, mm-hmm. and consistently brings it every episode. Yeah, like it's it's made him a household name in a way that he hadn't been before. Now everybody recognizes his voice. Now you can use him in like a freaking Arby's ad, and people will be like, "Oh, it's that guy." Yeah, it's gotten to that point of ubiquity because of Bob's Burgers, and I think it's been I think it's been a great boon for kind of underground comedy names besides him as well. Like you have uh, Dan Mintz, who's a voice actor in the mm-hmm. show, who's now like a household name, and like uh, you could say that this gave us uh, like uh, Kristen Schaal in a way that we hadn't seen before. Uh, I mean, yeah, she's kind of been lurking around uh, in all sorts of places. But, yeah, she's never been bigger as a a recurring character in the show. And so, yeah, and uh, I think it's just, I think it hangs, actually, probably more so than the live-action Fox show, just because of how important it is for comedy, for uh, for animated comedies. It proved that you could do the animated comedy in a different way than... Simpsons and Family Guy and be super successful Mm -hmm. and it's opened the door for a lot of smaller shows to get a bigger spotlight on them so would you say this show possibly counts I think it hangs I 100% that Bob Burgers when I'm thinking of network television in the 2010s I think it's an extremely important show and we are only beginning to see its effect I just learned this past uh, this past week that Fox the network Fox, which mm-hmm. is separate from Disney from the acquisition, yes. has bought the animation production studio Bento Box that creates Bob's Burgers. And is that's the reason why you're seeing a big animation push with this coming season on Fox. Because they realized how big of it a bag of a boon it is, even though Disney technically owns Bob's Burgers as a franchise and a series now. Mm-hmm. They didn't own the animation studio. And so the network is taking advantage of that and being like, no, we want to be on the forefront of this. We want to go hard. And that's why you're seeing, in fact, the aforementioned Annie Poehler produced show, which I forget the name of, and all, all sorts of these other ones that are coming in right now because they're striking in the eye. Oh, Bless the Hearts. Yeah, Bless the Hearts, which premiered already. Right. Uh, Duncanville, it's just Duncanville, premiered. I think it's the Annie Poehler one. And yeah, it's like, it's... it's um, 
it means that Fox realizes what they have. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's great. I think it matters because I think this is going to be the new template for animated comedy on network television. Right. Now, you brought up the fact that some of these uh, voice actors became household names. Yeah. Uh, that was also true of another show where the actors became household names and yes. went on to have even bigger <laughs> careers, you could say. Uh, that being of NBC's Community. Oh, boy, Community. All right. So. So, Dan Harmon. I've mentioned a couple of shows that are, you could say are cult shows, but none of those shows are as much of a cult show as Community is. Community is the cult show of cult shows yes. when you're talking about network comedy in the 2010s. It was a show that a network probably shouldn't have given um, a chance on, but they did, and they grew to regret it. <laughs> yes, this is the show that gave us the television juggernaut who is Dan Harmon. Again, if you were a comedy nerd, you would have already known who he was. Mm-hmm. But if you were a general person, this is what put him on the map. This is why we have Rick and Morty. And yep. we'll talk about that later in Cable. Yes. Uh, but yeah, um, just this is the, the this was a show also that uh, gave us Donald Glover in a lot of ways. Yes, which gave us Atlanta, which we'll talk about later. Which we'll talk about It's also a well. show that gave us Allison Brie, which gave us yes. Glows, which we'll talk about later. So yeah, there's a lot of important stuff happening with Community, but I think the drama and chaos of Community far outweighs, in my opinion, the quality of the show when it was good. And you're talking about Chevy Chase, aren't you? I'm not just talking about Chevy Chase here, but yes, that's a big asterisk with this show. Chevy Chase... Of course, storied comedy name, memorable for his, you know, his movie career, for his career on SNL. But in the 70s and 80s, when you're talking about 2000s, 2010s Chevy Chase, you're talking about an old grumpy man who nobody wants to work with. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, yes, he was on the show for a while, but they even this cast and crew community couldn't stand his antics and kicked him off the show way quicker than you think would think he would. And so, yeah, that's a big blight on the show. Second thing, though, um, the second thing about this is its chaotic history of of uh, being canceled and revived. Yes, the constant battle cry of six seasons and a movie. <laughs> so, yeah, NBC was quick to realize after, what, three, four seasons? Three, three seasons. Three seasons that it just didn't have the, the ratings to keep it on the network. So they canceled it. And then you had a big, again, a big fan outcry about like, well, we love this show, bring it back. They also had nothing really in the can to replace it. So it's like, well, we already have everything built out for this. Everybody wants this, I guess, in order to fill some time slots, we can have this go up for another season. And it kind of wrote on that on a bi-season basis for the last two seasons, three seasons. unlike uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine whose fans were so vocal that another network picked it up, Mm -hmm. no such thing was in the cards for Community. Instead, Yahoo decides to pick it up for a final season on Yahoo Screamed, their short-lived streaming service. They decided to bank (laughs) on that cult probability that people would go to Yahoo Screens for Community. Except here's the problem with that. One, nobody knew what Yahoo Screamed was. And two, Yahoo Screamed didn't care either. And it became a season of television that nobody watched. Even the most diehard of community fans hated it. And it just drowned in obscurity. And thus kind of put a weird end on the community legacy. And now you have a show that was very important and white hot for like three seasons. And then has just now disappeared into the ether. Like 
Very few people care. Very few people love. You'll hear every once in a while somebody bring it up in the great network comedies of the 2010s. But it just didn't last long enough to matter. And the shows that went on to be its progenity end up being way more important in the end than Community ever was. Well, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well. Yes. Because as everyone in the MC Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> will constantly point out yes. that the, uh, Joe and Anthony Russo... Yes came from directing community episodes. And now they're way bigger in film than they ever were in television. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think community is an interesting footnote when you're talking about NBC comedies of the 2010s, but in no way, I think, hangs with the likes of something like 30 Rock or Parks and Rec. I don't think it hangs here. I think it's important as, like I said, a footnote. Right. Um, So, we got to... We have a long yeah, list. Keep cranking. Here. We gotta keep cranking. Let's go. I'm hungry. Let's get to the food. <laughs> All right, let's get going. So, uh, show that I'm gonna go with a show here. Okay. That I'm gonna bring up that we haven't watched, but <laughs> has longevity. Uh huh. Has a terrific cast. Has the awards to back it up. Okay. And is also currently in its season finale. All right. That being on an ABC network we haven't talked about yet, of Modern Family. Yeah, so, Modern Family. uh, We kind of talked a little bit about this on our regular, regular show, or not regular show, regular podcast. Um, We'll talk about regular show later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On our podcast last week, uh, because we're talking about the end of Modern Family, it's going into its 11th and final season, or in its 11th and final season as we speak. Uh, but, yeah, as you said, we aren't really avid watchers of it. I've seen, like, a handful of episodes of it. What I've liked, what I've seen I've liked, it seems like it was quality back in its peak. But it is an important show when you think about the impact it had when it was new and when it was winning all those awards. As you mentioned, it was an Emmys juggernaut. It won Best Comedy at the Emmys, what, five years in a row? I believe so. It was unprecedented. 30 Rock had won, like, two or three before this, but it was immediately usurped by Modern Family. And I think that that's uh, important. It's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was a show, and I mentioned this on the last uh, podcast, uh, it was a show that kind of... Uh, uh, promoted a gay couple uh, first and foremost in their basic cast in a way that no other sitcom had done on network television before. Sure, you have, you know, Will and Grace, which introduced, like, gay characters to network television, uh, but Modern Family was like, no, this is just the family dynamic between these two characters. This is them just living their normal lives. The plots are not about them being gay. They're just about living their lives. And I think that that made an impact um, going forward on television and normalized it in a way that it hadn't been before. And yeah, you got a lot of television shows that kind of spun off of that that are now just have just gay couples as their characters, just like normal, because of what Modern Family established they could do. Mm-hmm. It also was never specifically poking fun right. at the gay couple. They were never the butt of the joke. Right. They were just a part of yeah, the joke. They were just who they are, their personalities, and the writing behind the characters were what the jokes were about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that that's probably its biggest legacy. Uh, but the other half of this is that, yeah, it went long as it did because it was consistent in the ratings. Uh, people kept watching the show. And I think the part of it was because ABC decided to take a risk or a risk at the time of doing a single fam- a single camera show in the in the realms of what NBC had been doing for a few years prior. And it worked for them. 
It right. was a solid hit for years and years and years for ABC. And the balance of critical and um, audience uh, praise kept it going for 11 seasons. It's something that was, for ABC, the workhorse and consistency yes. of their TGIF. Yeah. It was or Thursday. And it was the it was one on. bright spot in their comedy lineup for years. I can't even think of something else in that ABC lineup during the time of Modern Family that reached its heights. Um, never its heights. You did have consistent comedies in it, like The Goldbergs and The yeah, Middle. Which are two shows that I think... And Blackish. Yeah, those three shows are examples of shows that where ABC realized the success of Modern Family and was like, oh yeah, we could do more of these. Mm-hmm. And we're able to make those shows, um, which I understand are also pretty good and consistent, um, to kind of break, like to, to kind of follow the, the legacy of Modern Family. And yeah, I think that it's it's an interesting show to bring up here because yeah, it's really important. Yes, again, it's one of the another one of those shows that's more of a bell curve quality wise. From what I understand, is that um, during its peak, it was really excellent, and nowadays it's kind of it's consistent, but it's not notable. Yeah. But that bell curve, bell curve, bell curve, bell curve, <laughs> bell curve. also allowed uh, not just these adults and families, but. The kids to grow up yes. and experience these new, basically, milestones within their life and play on that as yeah. as people who watched it grew up and saw the exact same thing. Yeah, it's an interesting show because of the fact that it did have so many kids in recurring roles. It was not only a show that broke a lot of uh, older uh, actors that are now consistently in stuff, but it also broke a lot of new, younger actors that are now um, like ubiquitous. And yeah, it is unique amongst the shows we talked about so far in that way, where it like broke a lot of child actors that grew up to be uh, in all sorts of other stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, there's not really much we can, else we can say about that. I think it maybe hang it hangs probably a little bit more than something like um, New Girl does when we're talking about comedies on this right. list. But we'll maybe have to see if it hangs with the the crowd we have left. So let's uh, wrap up these. At least the ABC comedies with the Goldbergs, the Middle, and Blackish, since they were just recently brought up. I think we could probably talk about them in a big lump here. Yeah, um, that's why I bring them up in a big lump. Because they were never as um, critically acclaimed as Modern Family was. Now, Blackish was, it consistently got the nominations. Yeah, it was nominated, but never won. And yes. I think that's the key here, is when I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> when we're talking about, um, um, like, oh, critical, critical acclaim. Uh, but one thing is, it, but I do constantly hear about them, even today, about being very consistently funny shows. I mean, Blackish was able to spin off not yes, one, but not two, two other shows. or three other three shows. other shows. Well, because there's, it's uh, mixed, mixed, mixed-ish, grown-ish, grown-ish. Fresh off the boat, I believe, is also oh, a spin off. Fresh off the boat, a spin off. I believe it's in the same vein as it. Okay, I'm not sure if it's an exact spin off. We can also lump Fresh off the boat on here as well. Yeah. As it's, uh, they're all very, and the interesting thing about uh, Blackish and Fresh Off the Boat here is also that they were able to, ABC was able to take, again, at the time was perceived as a risk of making these shows that were about a fully, uh, about a minority family. Like Blackish, as the name implies, is a fully black cast. And that was still not something that even ABC did consistently anymore. I mean, in the 2000s, you had shows like, um, like my wife and kids, and mm-hmm. you have of course the uh, the peak of U- of UPN when they were doing a lot of shows with black casts. 
but you didn't really see that as much in the 2010s, and Blackish was a show that was taking that risk again. Same thing with Fresh Off the Boat. They were like willing to do a show that was completely an Asian cast. And yeah, I think it's cool that ABC, unlike the other networks, were able to base, were, were wanting to take these risks and do it, and reaped the benefits of it, and had some really good shows that came out of it. Right, but I also believe that this points all back to Modern Family, where yes. they took that risk of having a gay yes. couple as their yeah. main leads. And prominently featured minor- minorities as well in the rest of the cast, mm-hmm. like uh, Sofia Vergara's character. Yes. And so, yeah, it's like, I think that, yeah, ABC was taking risks with these shows because Modern Family allowed them to. You're right. So, but does that put them at a... But back seat I, yeah, to Modern Family. I do. I do think because of the critical juggernaut that Modern Family was, it is hard to talk about those the progenity in a higher like place than the one that started it all. None of them usurp- took the crown away from Modern Family. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Goldbergs, I want to say, yeah. somehow did, because even that guy's spinoff in itself was schooled <laughs> and is set around an 80s-centered family. Yeah, the Goldbergs is a weird one on this list because it is both... A reference to an ancient show, borrowing the name of a sitcom that was literally from the beginning of television, but also a retro show in its setting and as it does take place in the 80s. It's a strange high concept show, never since that 70s show on Fox in the 2000s have we had something as weird as this conceptually, but it's become super beloved and it's become a consistent hit for ABC. And I, yeah, I think that of all of these, it is the one that is the closest to being the next in line. Right. Um, from what I have watched of The Goldbergs, I think I've watched mm-hmm. a total of two seasons, and that's just various episodes. But every episode that I have seen is a reference itself to the 80s, reference itself mm-hmm. back to present day, but then also is so high concept in and of itself that it is something that I can enjoy and laugh at and laugh with. Yeah. It's a very rare concept that breaks that mold that Modern Family, for me, never could. Yeah. I think that it does allow them to have more fun. Mm-hmm. And it does allow them to kind of play with, like, the nostalgia of their audience, uh, play with the expectations of their audience. I mean, they've done a lot of high-concept episodes that show, as you mentioned. Like, they did a per- an entire episode about the, uh, basically about the Goonies. Yes. It's like stuff like that that you can do on something that's wackier like that. And I think it's something that, you, that like, the 70s show highlighted is the hindsight of having something happen with, it, with their show taking place yeah. in the real time of the 80s, but... Having the hindsight of writing yeah. from the now. The one thing I will say about it, though, it has not reached the point of cultural ubiquity like the NBC shows we talked about. It is not something that's being talked about by you know people on the streets. It's not something you see brought up a lot of on the internet. It's a show that the people who like it like it a lot, but it's not a show that you're like that is in the cultural zeitgeist. No, but it does have like consistent numbers, though. It does, and but, that's one thing it has really going for it is. That once it holds you, it allows you to come back to it. Yeah, so I don't think it's quite up to where I would say that it has a chance, but it's almost there. Okay. Uh, we'll put that as a legacy thing. Yeah. All right. Um, let's let's go to CBS. We have yet to talk about CBS here. There's a reason. <laughs> 2010s, man, they were really successful for CBS, but critically. <laughs> 
They did a lot of long-form dramas. They did. With Blue Bloods yeah. and Hawaii Five-O. Yes, which and uh, is just now canceled. MacGyver. I saw. Yes, that was MacGyver. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, MacGyver. But, yeah. Uh, but uh, we didn't really watch those shows. Yeah. NCIS so, and Survivor. Yeah, and the thing we have to say about the, the dramas when we talk about the CBS dramas, they were the network. The network would, wouldn't be like the the most watched network of the 2010s if it wasn't for the strength of those procedurals. But they were not for us. They were made for a little bit of an older demographic than we were. So it's not stuff that maybe the person listening to this podcast would care about, but their parents probably watched the shit out of these shows. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, this is... So uh, I guess we should say that they are extremely important, though. And so if we're talking about importance... We are not necessarily talking about, like, Blue Bloods. We're not necessarily talking about um, Hawaii Five-0. I think we're mostly talking about... Just CSI and C- the spin-off. CSI, CSI Miami, uh, just... Uh, right, but the question then becomes, is that a product of its time? Because those shows started in 2000, 2002, 2004, and ended yeah. early in the 2010s. So yeah, maybe we don't talk about the like the legacy ones, uh, which means, yeah, maybe we don't talk about any of these. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like they, they exist, they, they are consistent, uh, but like the important ones, the ones that are most important are the slightly older ones. And I wish I could be more specific. But <laughs> well, no, because even CSI and overran it. it. Yeah, um, we're probably thinking of stuff like Scorpion. So yeah, that's a relatively newer one, but it seems to be a hit for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that's been that ri- like rose to the ranks of the like the like like again the cultural zeitgeist though. I mean, it did run for four seasons. Yeah. Uh, but I mean yeah we don't have much to say CBS also had comedies which I mean Big Bang Theory is the big one but preceding that and running into the first half at least of the 2010s How I Met Your Mother and Two and a Half Men okay so these three all three of these are incredibly important yes for wildly different reasons (laughs) I think yeah Big Bang Theory so I guess if we're going chronologically, we should talk about Two and a Half Men first. Right, because that started in 2003 and ended yeah. in 2015. So yeah, Two and a Half Men, I think, uh, is an incredibly important show that also was critically beloved for the first half of its run, mm-hmm. and also gave us one of the most notorious uh, controversial figures on network television in a long, long time. Ashton Kutcher. Oh. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's uh, Charlie Sheen. Yeah. And when he went... Uh, not crazy, but yeah, tiger's blood and winning, right? So yeah, and uh, I think that stuff happened pretty early in the 2010s, so it's not like really like super pertinent on this list. Uh, but but it the show changed that show. It did have a big impact. Uh, it was extremely long running. It was extremely uh, successful in the ratings. It basically put CBS on the map when it was talking about ratings for. Uh, their their three camera sitcoms. When you talk about three camera sitcoms in the 2010s, you're talking about CBS. They had the biggest names. They had the biggest ratings. They were the most watched network for a reason. And half of that was the dramas, but the other half was these shows. So yeah, Two and a Half Men, extremely influential when it came to um, 
three cam- like multi-camera shows in that decade. And I don't... And if it would be, I think it would hang on this list if it wasn't for how much bigger the shows that came after it were. Um, yeah, I think that when the Charlie Sheen stuff kind of happened, CBS needed a backup plan. Well, yeah, that happened... In 2010, 2011, yeah, and I when think he had that, killed the And that kind of had, basically what you saw then was a passing of the torch uh, between that and the Big Bang Theory. Right, which premiered in 2007. As much as I despise the Big Bang Theory, and I'm going to be upfront about this, it's like, I just don't like it, I don't think it's funny. And as much as a low common concept yeah. it is yeah. of hot girl moves in next door uh-huh. to... A bunch of nerds. But, unfortunately, all that being said, it hangs. And the reason for that is it is incredibly important. It is extremely long-running. It was consistent in the ratings throughout. It was even critically beloved, at least for its acting. You had uh, so many acting Emmys being given to the show. Uh, I'm blanking on the dude's name. The main dude. Uh, Jim Parsons. Jim Parsons. He is extremely good at playing this character. He is extremely talented as an actor. And I do think, as much as, you know, like what all being said about my feelings about the show itself, I think he earned those Emmys. I think that he does a really good job doing that specific kind of character. Right. In terms of Golden Globes winning for best TV series, it is the one that won once Modern Family stopped winning. It was extremely consistent, and um, I think it was huge in keeping the the art of the multi-camera show going. And it's probably the reason why it's the people still make those shows. And these comedies were trying to kill it, but it did not die because of the strength of the CBS comedies. And yeah, I think that it was definitely the biggest sitcom, period, in the 2010s because of that. Mm-hmm. Even though... It, you know, even with all that you could say about its actual quality, it is extremely important just because when you're talking about cultural zeitgeist, it had it. Mm -hmm. It was the comedy when you were talking about people typically older than we are. Uh, It was the one they watched. It was the one you could rely on people understanding jokes from. And that's the... uh, It gave us Bazinga. Yeah, that's the LCD, (laughs) the lowest common denominator of... You could come into the show at any time... And immediately within the first two minutes, understand yeah. the concept of the show. Yeah. It had the biggest guest stars. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean, biggest cultural, pop culture guest stars. Yes. Constantly on constantly. the show. But yeah, and uh, it went through all the... It's the most sitcom-y, too, of all these sitcoms. It had all of the tropes. It had the will they or won't they. It had the, like we just said, the guest star appearances. It had the... Um, uh, baby arcs. It had the weddings. It had everything. It had literally everything you think of in a cliche sitcom that lasts too long. It had it. I mean, it basically became the friends of yes. an entirely different generation. It was. On another... That's actually a perfect segue to the other CBS sitcom that maybe skews a little younger. Yes, um, the one that splits those generations, you yeah, could say. Yeah, it split this two, those two shows, you could say, in fact. It found a happy medium between the two, which is How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, that... Yeah. I mean, that show ran from 05 to 2014, and I think, yeah, Splits Friends, which ended in 2006, and then Big Bang Theory, which started in yeah. 2009. It's interesting because it straddles the line between be, be, between being extremely, um, extremely traditional in its format and also being kind of transgressive for a CBS show. And what I mean by that is, 
is that it's the basic structure of a something akin to a two and a half men or the uh, Big Bang Theory, where it's it a multi-cam show wow. that is an ensemble show. But it the also, other half of it is it is also taking unique approaches to narrative and storytelling mm-hmm. by having a story being told to you from the future about the past. I mean, it does give it a very, very heavily in every episode the voice of God. Yeah. Uh, where it is Bob Saget. Bob Saget. Yeah. It is that um, that voice that is no longer not not on the screen that just comes from out of nowhere. Yeah, and I think that what I mean you could argue about how much of an effect that actually has on the show. Virtually none. The show itself actually is pretty traditional in the setup. It's just the basically the bumpers before and after, and the arc of the show is loosely tied together by this mm-hmm. future narrative. So yeah, you could argue whether it even matters, but the fact that CBS even greenlit a show with a high concept like this is pretty cool at its time. And also, it kind of created kind of the backlash when you get to the ending of the show from the fans who didn't like how it ended. And so yeah, it's it's an interesting, uh, like like I said, it's in, it, it exists in kind of an interesting middle ground where you do see a lot of people that's closer to our generation that do have fond memories of it. And also old, the older generation who also have fond memories of it because it was able to have its kick and eat it too. Mm-hmm. It straddled a generational line in the way that the other shows didn't. So it wasn't quite as smart as the NBC stuff that were its contemporaries, but also it wasn't quite as droll and stupid in LCD as something like the Big Bang Theory and CBS contemporaries. So yeah, it's, it's a weird good medium, and it's, I think, the best of the three shows of the, uh, of the CPS multicam era in the 2010s. Uh, for Big Bang Theory? No. For How I Met Your Mother? Yeah, How I Met Your Mother. Okay. I think its quality is better. Um, so if it, so, I guess it depends on what you want to rank here. Is, is this based on importance, or is this based on high quality? Because I think it's a better show. But the Big Bang Theory is the one that mattered more. Yes, but I think Big Bang Theory sticks its landing a it hell did. of a lot better than How I Met Your Mother. I did not hate that being said, the end I of How I Met Your Mother. Just to, be, just, to, just to establish that first and foremost, I'm not a hater. I think that that's the way they had to end it. Well, no, because my big thing about it is because it continuously ran into that problem of, well, are we going to be picked up? Will we leave cliffhangers yeah. at the end of each they season? They didn't know. And they didn't know. So by the time you get to that final season, yeah. they had to drag it out because they established that we don't want to right. keep doing this. We need to end this. That was truly a weird, weird ass way to end the show. It was basically that, like five episodes that are like all the same day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really felt. No, that entire stretched. season was of course <laughs> over three days. Yeah, it was just oh, this is such a such a stretch. But yeah, of the two, man, it's hard. Like to choose, like the, to choose, because yeah, it is definitely an importance versus quality argument. Mm-hmm. But we can circle back to that, right? Um, so we're, we've got an hour, yeah, over an hour into this we thing, have. Uh, and yet there's still more shows that we can talk about. Yeah, let's keep going. So um, I kind of want to wrap this up at the end of ninety minutes, though. Okay, ish. So let's 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 truck then. All right, let's truck then through here. Um, I feel like we'll have less to show say about the shows from here on. Out. All right. Um, in a couple of senses, give me some show, some topics about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. High concept. Wonderful high concept. I love the idea of a show about, uh, a network show about, um, like, a, a, like, that seems traditional in structure, but has musical elements. Like, basically, it's a mini musical every week. 
That being said, speaking of not sticking a landing, it does not do a great job of actually portraying the, um, the deep subject matter that it wants to. It fumbles when it's talking about actual stuff about mental health. And I think that that is a big detractor. And I think it tries to do two, it tries to be two different shows, a fun, light musical show, and also this actual commentary. Mm -hmm. And it does not do both of those things as a balance. I don't think it hangs. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about two shows real quick here that I am currently watching because I'm currently on. Um, This is Us and The Good Doctor. These are shows I watch with my doctor uh, on a weekly basis. This is our TV time shows. Yes. Um, that being said, they are really good at what they do, being our long storytelling. Yes. Um, this, there are two different kinds. The Good Doctor is a procedural that wraps up everything, but also does leave stuff for an overseason, overreaching arc of each season. Whereas the good, or whereas This Is Us mm-hmm. is nothing but episodes leading into the next episode, leading into the next it's episode. extremely serialized. Very serialized. It's hard to catch up, but that being said, it is something that hits you in yeah. the feels nearly every episode. There's something yeah. about it, yeah. especially in the writing, to where you can watch each episode, and at some point or another, we'll look at each other like, aww, or aww, or just like have that same emotional gut impact. Yeah. At the exact same time. And I think what I will say about these two shows, uh, maybe this is us a little bit more than The Good Doctor. Yeah. They are extremely important. As we're standing in 2020, the This Is Us made a huge impact in network television. It brought back the viability of the hour-long non-procedural drama back to television. It was a direct reaction to the stuff that was happening on basic and premium cable. And I think that they base it made the networks realize that that was viable again. Yes, but this is also a show that is standing on two titans yeah. of NBC procedure or NBC dramas before it. That being of Friday Night Lights yeah. and yes. of Parenthood. Yes, both were more two thousand shows. Yes, but they established the 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 ground of to make this is us the biggest one of those yet. And it's so influential that ABC even made a show that's basically exactly like This Is Us. A Million Little Lies. I mean, pieces. Yeah, so yeah, you just keep you keep seeing shows prop, like, uh, prop up that are trying to do This Is Us. And that means that you matter. When imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, I think... And it's also, it's got that cultural, cultural zeitgeist thing. Mm-hmm. This, again, This Is Us more so than Good Doctor. Good yes. Doctor, though, it's getting there. I'm hearing more and more people talk about it. It's popping up in more and more places. I think it has a chance of being big, too. But This Is Us, I think, is the one of the two that I think... Put an asterisk next to it because I think it does matter. This Is Us is currently getting right. all those Emmy noms, Golden yes. Globe noms. Whereas The Good Doctor is just entering the cultural zeitgeist yeah. of, hey, you should check out this show. I turned yeah. it on and I enjoyed it. Drama-wise, I think it's the most important drama we've talked about yet. Yeah. I think. This is Us Hanks. This is Us. I'm going to yeah. try and see if I can move it on. I think it hangs. All right. Um, move on. Let's keep trying. Speaking of NBC shows that people loved, uh-huh. Hannibal. You don't yeah. watch this, but <laughs> so many people tried to get me into it. This was an internet cult favorite and on the drama side. Uh, we talked about how that can either help your show with Brooklyn Nine-Nine or hurt your show, like Community. Uh, but in this case, um, it was kind of in the middle of those two things. It was white hot when it was on. People loved Hannibal. Uh, but it was a weird outlier when you think about network television dramas. 
It was extremely graphic and violent. It's, it was extremely dark. This was murder porn yes. at the highest level. Yes. I would. He- I didn't watch it myself, but hearing people who who watched Hannibal in its in its run were constantly talking about like I can't believe they got away with that on television. Stuff I also think that because it was such a cult favorite that it wasn't reaching as many eyes as they wanted to be. But those eyes they were seeing <laughs> could not shut up about this show. Yes. So I think it is an interesting. I, I don't know if it hangs quite here because it was short lived compared to some of these other long running shows. Also, it just didn't have the critical panache as much. It had the cult love from the internet, but that's pretty much all it had. So I'm going to say it's probably on the same level as Community, where it's like, they're important shows to an extent, but I don't know if they hang. Okay. Um, now, we've talked nothing, Yeah. if not heavily, about scripted shows. I know, but what about unscripted shows? That's where I'm going to next, all because... Right. Late night shows. And we can rattle these off. <laughs> yeah, we can rattle these off. Okay, so first one I have here in here on my list is Penn and Teller Fool Us. Eh. <laughs> I watch it consistently. It brings magic back into the forefront. Sure, but does it does it matter really? No. No, no. In terms of mattering, <laughs> no. I just want to bring it up because I, I, if there's nothing on and this show is on, I will put it on because yeah. it gives me a five minute magic act and then. Penn and Teller basically yeah. explain it in code, yeah. how they did it, All and right. then at the end of each episode, do their own trick as well. Yeah. Well, we gave it in 60 seconds. Let's move on. Yep, we gave it a minute. <laughs> um, other show that premiered during this decade that okay. at least I consistently watch and can't wait for it to ever come back okay. because it comes back in season stride and love it when it does, Gordon Ramsay's MasterChef. Yeah, I think when you're talking about reality shows, it's tricky because reality shows, I think, had their decade in the 2000s. Yeah. Now American still, Idol yeah. and America's Got Talent they still and X Factor. Exist, but they're never going to be as big as they were, I guess, except you're the freaking masked singer. Yeah. Should, I guess we should mention that right now. Exists. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, when you're talking about uh, kind of like more like consistent reality shows, it is stuff like MasterChef. When you think about cooking shows on network television, that are fun and consistent, it's MasterChef. As whether it's important? Probably not. Even talking about cooking shows in the 2010s, you could argue that a lot more people cared about the cable alternative Top Chef than ever cared about MasterChef. Or the cable alternative Chopped yeah. to, Ma- to MasterChef. So yeah, when you, I think it's important to mention, yes, as, as it's unique in that it is a mainstream network primetime cooking reality show but beyond that probably doesn't hang here and then just on the tangent of that being a primetime reality competition show american ninja warrior Eh, you know what this is an interesting kind of thing because it did make a primetime version of something that had already been existing for a while yes and something that like i watched when it was on g4 constantly yeah ninja warrior but honestly though Eh, it's like a blip on the radar. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, but something that is not a blip, and I think something that has a very good chance of moving on, at least in a top four capacity, All right. is a show on ABC okay. that springboarded a lot of inventions okay. of Shark Tank. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think this, in terms of the importance of a show, in terms of like an American dream show, yeah. this show... 
ranks highly every single time. Yeah, I think you're talking about reality shows on network primetime. Yeah, this one probably matters more. Um, it does. It created a lot of um, actual real life things that you can engage with right now. It created a lot of running jokes. It created um, a little own, like its own little niche. There are no shows that are like this. It is unique, and I think that that has a lot. Uh, to say about its staying power and why it's still on the network. Right, and it's gone off for so long that they do, in every new episode, these retrospectives look back on <laughs> older products and see like, hey... Where are they now? Like, not only just where are they now, but look how successful this is. This isn't yeah. just some one-off show where only one product out of out of a season so, yeah. makes it into a million dollars. It's like, this is consistently happening. Uh, so it's not maybe the reality show that I would say is most important. Uh, there's another one that I actually uh, think that matters a lot more that you might not have on this list for the 2010s, um, which is, I might as well just say it, is yeah. The Voice. Okay. Uh, but I think that it's up there, certainly. Um, with with If you're talking about uh, the more kind of compartmentalized uh uh, reality shows it's like yeah it, it's definitely up there mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be the one reality show I would pick so you'd pick The Voice I think The Voice is extremely important when it comes to com- reality competitions it was the show that basically took the torch away from the American Idol it was I like, mean to be fair American Idol kind of extinguished itself it did but at the same time though NBC figured no people will still like a singing show you just have to have a new twist because people got tired of American Idol. They figured out a twist, literally, a spinning chair, <laughs> and um, were able to revitalize the format and make it matter again. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely up there. That and probably America's Got Talent on Fox. Uh, that was came out in 2006, but still, but it continues still, to run. It mattered, though, in the 2010s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that if you're going to pick one reality competition show in prime time, it's The Voice. Yes, but name me a voice winner. I cannot... Okay, <laughs> it's not. But it doesn't have the impact that American Idol did. But nothing can though. You, you okay? Yeah, but you can tell me like products that came from Shark Tank though. No, I can't. No, no, I can't. Oh, okay. So that's the thing. I think that to compare the two eras of reality show reality shows is a little unfair. Okay. The reason why I say that is because the amount of people watching television period was so much higher in the peak of American Idol than it ever was in the peak of The Voice. And so, yeah, they're both extremely successful, but if you look at the raw numbers, it's never going to have reached the American Idol peak because that, because with the division of television viewing audiences, with streaming, with everything else that's happened in the last 10 years, it's never going to reach the heights. Mm-hmm. So it's that's why I think that the household name status of somebody who won American Idol in 2005, your Carrie Underwoods, will never reach whoever won The Voice in 2015. It's just never going to be the same thing. It was Cassidy Pope, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. if I, I think that, though, the cultural zeitgeist-wise, nobody, I think, talked about a reality show in my memory in the 2010s than The Voice. Okay. And let's just wrap it up here with okay. the two late-night shows that, I mean, unless you want to count maybe three late-night shows, that kind of took over late-night uh, halfway yeah. through the decade. and. You know, established their sub themselves. Okay. Um, being The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Late Night with Seth Meyers, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, yeah. and The Late Late Show with James Corden. 
Yeah. All, all four of them. I mean, you could also put Jimmy Kimmel in here. I, I, I wouldn't say he was before that, but at least he definitely produced them. But he he, he was still around. Yeah. But yeah, I th- I see why you left him off because yeah because he's been on since two thousand three. That's why. So James Corden uh, has had a little bit more recently of an impact than the than the other ones. You see James Corden show up a lot in like award shows. He's hosted the um, uh, Tonys several times at this point. He's he's big, but I think he's still niche when you compare to the two bigger names here. And same thing with Seth Meyers. I think that it's a better show, probably, but it's still uh, a lesser uh, tier. The two that matter here are Fallon and Colbert. I think that... The two, Jim- the two Jimmys? Well, no. <laughs> Not in this case. No, it, it's Fallon and Colbert, and I think that you can split the decade almost by Fallon and Colbert. The first part of the decade, you could say, was dominated by Fallon. Like, they, well, he, he was getting the bigger, big, yeah. biggest ratings. He was getting the biggest guests. He was making the biggest viral effect. That uh, I mean, Jimmy Fallon's show pretty much created the the virality of the late night show. Like no late night show was as viral as Jimmy Fallon had been because he was pretty much creating content that was designed for YouTube clips with your you know like uh, celebrity meme tweets with your mm-hmm. you know like with your. Um, uh, uh, instant band. Instant band. Like, you, where you would bring back all the nostalgia acts to do their nostalgia thing. I mean, there was so much stuff that Jimmy Fallon was doing specifically for virality that he basically created a new audience that straddled both young and old. But on the other end of the decade, from 2016 onward, uh, Colbert took over. I then, wonder what happened in 2016. Hmm, I wonder. Once, be, once political comedy got hot again, yeah. people realized that Fallon wasn't doing it. It was the the having Donald Trump on and muff, ruffling his hair thing killed Fallon's like uh, uh, like um, speedy like uh, success and then like well, not only that but he specifically did not want to yes, do political. he didn't want to be political and so that gave Colbert the ability to be as political as possible and run with it and that's why his show became such a big uh, big late night institution immediately after that. So yeah, so I think that both are equally important um, uh, in terms of uh, viewership and zeitgeist. Maybe Colbert a little bit more because of just how like he basically took the legacy of something like The Daily Show and his mm-hmm. own Colbert Report and basically made a new contemporary version of that. Whether it goes as hard as stuff like the stuff we'll talk about in the cable section did, like your, your last week tonight's, your... Um, your uh, uh, Samantha Bees. Yeah, your Samantha Bees. Your um, <sighs> soup. Yeah, the other equivalents of the that. Yeah, he may not have gone as hard, but he did it in a mainstream network way. And I think that yeah, if you're going to choose one late night show, it's Colbert. Right. I mean, especially the second half of the decade. Yeah. Because as soon as he took that crown, well, she was chasing from Jimmy Fallon since <laughs> since he started. Right. In uh, 2015. Yeah, in 2015, that he was chasing that number one slot, and he eventually got it, and has not let that go since. Right. But yeah, uh, I think that that's 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 pretty much the late night picture. Yeah. Uh, at least on network. List? I think that's it for the giant list. Then can we get to four in the next two minutes? <laughs> two minutes. Uh, we're at. <laughs> Four minutes. Four minutes. All right, All right, ten minutes. Okay, so what I have currently marked off as uh-huh. stuff that should probably move on, we have The Good Place, Parks and Rec, The Office, 30 Rock, 
Bob's Burgers, Community, This Is Us, Modern Family, um, Big Bang Theory, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, jeez, it's going to be hard. <laughs> How many was that? I didn't count. Eight? I think you were counting. I was, and then I gave up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, eh, it's okay, we don't need to count um, right. So yeah, we have a lot. We need to get it down to four. All right, let's start from. Let's just start mowing these down in terms of network. Uh, CBS. I think Big yeah, Bang Theory, yeah. How I Met Your Mother, and Two and a Half Men are what we have. Of the three, it's got to be Big Bang Theory. Over How I Met Your Mother. Yes, because like I said, I think importance trumps quality here. It was way more important. A lot more people cared about it, and a lot more people watched it. <laughs> right. So we did say better stuff about. How I Met Your Mother, though. We did, but I don't think that that... Um, again, I guess we need to determine what this is. Is this the best, like, quality-wise, or the most impactful? Uh, why can't it be both? <laughs> I guess if we're splitting the difference, then it's How I Met Your Mother. But to be honest, if that's your pick from CBS, I don't think it's in the top four. Well, okay, let's mark them and then move forward. If we have yeah. more, we'll okay. start mowing them down. All right, so yeah. Alright, um, in terms of, I guess, uh, non-scripted, The Voice and Shark Tank? Yeah, I think that those are your two big reality shows. Um, I would, like I said, I think I would eat, uh, like edge The Voice out just a little bit more than Shark Tank just because of just thinking about um, overall consistency and overall uh, like impact it made culturally. But... You can say the exact same thing about Shark Tank to someone I mean, else. They, they're similar, but like, it's tough because in my experience, more people talked about The Voice in the last decade than Shark Tank. Yes, but in my experience, more stuff that came off of Shark Tank ended up being very helpful, very big, <laughs> than saying, yeah. than naming whoever won The Voice and whatever they did. Yeah. <laughs> They're two different show, very different shows, though. Yeah. So it's hard to compare the two of them against each other. It's a very apples and oranges kind All right. of situation. Well, let's move on then. Yeah. Uh, Modern Family, I assume, just goes through, right? I think Modern Family does because it's it's that unique uh, balance between uh, audience and critic, critical acclaim. All right, and then on the reverse token of that, I'm going to put This Is Us. Uh-huh. Yes. For now. Yes. We'll I see think how that This goes. Is Us goes forward. All right. Uh, now, in terms of. NBC comedies. Yeah. Where would we go between The Good Place, Parks and Rec, Office, 30 Rock? I think we have to pick one, which sucks. Okay, well, let's pick two, <laughs> and then we'll pick one. I think overall... Between Parks and Rec and The Good Place. Uh, uh, the Good Place, uh, I think, wins between the two of them. For it consistency? Has, I think it has, it's more consistent, and the, hires are, uh, the highs are higher. All right. So it wins both the... The uh, consistency argument and also the quality argument. So I think that yeah, Park by Parks and Rec, we love you, but we don't. You don't hang. I think the terms of legacy, it will, like you said, the Parks and Rec it is a product of its time. Yeah. And is solely encapsulated in that I think Obama the, era. Whereas I think the Good Place will end up being timeless. Right. I think it. I really think it's going to last a long time. It'll last infinite, Jeremy Baronies. <laughs> yes. Yes, it will. <laughs> But and then between the office and Thirty Rock, yes. Ah, uh, hmm. I think that the highs are way higher in Thirty Rock. Yes. It is way less important, though. I think culturally. I think culturally and important, impactful wise, 
The office, the office trumps it. The Office, we wouldn't have modern television comedy as it is right now in both network and cable yes. if it wasn't for The Office existing. So I think, yeah, I think The Office moves forward even though I know nothing about it. <laughs> that's okay. We have time for to get you into it. Oh, God. I so we have I don't have that many hours three, in the day. Three, four, five, six, uh-huh. seven, eight. So we need to eliminate four. Uh, yes. All right. So we... Hey, we got down to eight. Yeah, that's not bad. We All need right. to eliminate four of them. All right, we have The Good Place, The Office, mm-hmm. This Is Us, Modern Family, Shark Tank, The Voice, Big Bang Theory, How I Met Your Mother. I think we can eliminate the reality shows. Both we, of them? I think we can, because like I said, reality shows had their decade. The 2010s is not. I think we're seeing the t- reality shows that lasted in the 2010s were like... Just never reached the levels of importance, I think, just because of less eyes on them, culturally, as they did in the 2000s. No one cares as much as they did. I think the genre as a whole is in its, like, kind of coasting period. So I'd, I would be fine with leaving both of these off the list. Well, I think in terms of reality TV, yes, the 2000s was heavily yes. on reality TV. But yeah. it did also move over into the networks where it became yeah. their bread and butter. It became an institution, but I don't think it mattered as much. Yeah. I so, mean, as much as I would like for one of these to move forward... I just do not think they hang. They, they, they can't hang yeah. against, say, anything from premium cable, from right. streaming. I agree. So, I think, take it out. Yeah. All right. So that And for the CBS shows, the CBS. if we're choosing between Big Bang Theory and How Much Weather, which I think is what we should do, I think you're right. Ultimately, I want... Like, I... Like, my brain says Big Bang Theory wins here because of just the cultural impact of it, but my heart says How Much Your Mother is a, How I Met Your Mother is the more is the better show of the two, and the one that I would like to move forward because it's I yeah it, it looks a little better <laughs> like on paper than Big Bang Theory does. Yes, on paper, yes, I think How I Met Your Mother I can go back to. And watch it from beginning to end yeah. and have a fine time with it. So, yeah. So, let's eliminate the Big Bang Theory, which sounds insane, and I can't believe I'm saying it, but let's do it. Yes, but Big Bang Theory had that cultural impact. It did. But, if, again, if we're talking about splitting the difference between quality and importance, mm-hmm. it just doesn't have the quality. It just doesn't have it. doesn't cut it. <sighs> it doesn't cut it. You're right. You convinced you convinced me. I don't know why you're struggling with this. Well, cause my struggling with this <laughs> is that we then have to either eliminate yeah. the good place or the office. Yeah, we do. And I unfortunately I know which one probably has to go. Yes, unfortunately you might do. Otherwise, being devil's advocate here, we eliminate both CBS. No, I don't think you eliminate both CBSs. I think you keep how I met your mother and you get rid of the good place. As much as I love it, yes. it doesn't split that difference. Yes, but the thing that is nagging me in the back of the head about yeah. Big Bang Theory is it ran the entire decade. Okay. Whereas How I Met Your Mother... Fine. Eliminate How I Met Your Mother, keep Big Bang Theory, and still eliminate The Good Place. <laughs> and you have Big Bang Theory, Modern Family, This Is Us, and The Office. And I... I think that that's our... I think that's your four. Those are two that ran the <laughs> uh-huh. entire decade yes. in Modern Family and Big Bang Theory. And two that split the decade with the office that gave us yeah. this decade of single camera comedies and yeah. then this is us which is currently the ongoing you can't stop talking about yeah. it and can't stop watching it show. so yeah i think that that makes sense because we're representing both halves of the decade there yeah yeah 
Um, in fact, this is an interesting four because it's almost like we have two examples of of you have the two thousands bleeding over, and then two examples of no, this is what we are now. This is what television was, and this is what television is. You also have three different uh, networks being represented with CBS, NBC, yeah. and ABC. Like, okay. With NBC splitting or doubling down, I guess on. Yeah. A comedy show and yeah. a drama show, which I'm glad we have a drama show yes. in here. I, I, I was hoping we would. Yeah. All right. I think let's put a fork in it. Okay. We'll put a fork in this now. Our network shows are, once again, The, the Office, Office, This Is Us, Modern this Family, Us. and mm-hmm. Big Bang Theory. Yeah. I, I feel comfortable with this. Uh, uh, yeah. I am good with this list. With as much four. as I love The Good Place, it just doesn't... Like, if we're trying to find a medium between quality and... And importance. It has the quality. It may not have the importance. And I think the same can be said about How I Met yeah. Your Mother. Where it has the quality. It doesn't have the importance. Right. Because people are split on that final season on it. Yeah. And even though The Big Bang Theory may not have the quality to me, it has the awards to say that I'm wrong. It and has it the awards. Has it has the, the cultural audience. impact. It yeah. has the audience. It has the ratings. It has literally everything going for it except us watching yeah. it. Exactly. Okay, so those were your network shows. So these will move on to the semifinal round. We will get back to that later, but first we have more uh, uh, preliminaries to do. So join us next time for uh, the second episode where we will talk about the next category, Basic Cable. Or if you're listening to this in the future and it's already up, you can listen to it right now. So bye. See you next time.